would be great. <laughs> From John chapter 20. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, him, forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in, my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Because it is still the Easter season, and I'm still excited, if I could get my, I'm just having one of those mornings. Um, Christ is risen. He is risen Thank you. I can't hear that enough. I just love it every single time. And for Lee's question, I actually was not going to be preaching much about Revelation today, but I can tell you that the letter writer John is talking about the continent of Asia, which includes India and Turkey and that sort of line there. So it's a geographical lesson to start off the sermon today. So what I am going to talk about is Thomas, the disciple Thomas. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. We know him most often as Doubting Thomas, and I don't think that's fair. I mean, to be fair for myself, part of my defense for Thomas is that I relate so much to him, and so relating to someone who's known as Doubting Thomas is not a super great thing to feel. I will not believe was a common phrase in my vocabulary, especially around Jesus stuff. Not that I didn't want to, but I didn't. I didn't know if I could or would. And so Thomas has always had a soft spot in my heart because he was the first disciple to actually name Jesus divine in John's Gospel, the first one to proclaim his faith with a sound confidence, and the first one to basically just say, nah, to a disciple's proclamation. Most of us have some experience of doubts, especially when terrible or tragic or impossibly difficult things happen in our lives. For Thomas, that was the cross. The sudden and shocking and violent death of a loved one would cause doubts for anyone, and it did for most of the disciples. To be fair, it's not like the disciples 
disciples are really helping or supporting Thomas in his seemingly harsh response to their resurrection declaration. There's no dialogue where Peter says, I know you weren't here, I know you're hurting, but there is hope and we've seen it. There's no lying to Thomas about forgiveness or grace here or comfort. And it's not exactly like the disciples were living like they witnessed a resurrection. We don't know where Thomas was when he missed Jesus' first visit. We don't know if he was just in the bathroom or across town. We don't know what the disciples told him. We've seen the Lord. Has it been two hours or two days after Jesus' visit? But when they do tell him, I wonder if Thomas looked around the room at the faces of the disciples. I wonder if he looked at that locked door and their fear and their worry about being arrested. I wonder if he listened to the way they spoke about what to do next and thought, if you really saw him, why aren't you celebrating? Why aren't you out in the streets telling people, if you've received the Holy Spirit, why aren't you out there forgiving and sharing this peace? What are you doing here? I think it's a fair question. The disciples have seen the risen Lord. They've seen Jesus. He shared his peace with them, breathed the Holy Spirit on them, called them to share forgiveness, to be sent out into the world. Apart from Thomas, you would expect the disciples to be excited, to be making plans. And yet, even a week later, they're again in the house with the doors shut. What's interesting to me is that even a week later, after Thomas missed seeing Jesus, after the disciples have continued to lock themselves away in fear of persecution, Thomas is still there with them in the house. A week later, Thomas is still there. Maybe he was waiting for something to happen. Maybe he was waiting to see how he could support the other disciples going out and sharing a life of resurrection. Maybe he was hoping that if what they had said was true, Jesus would have heard his harsh remarks, heard his pain and his grief, and come back for him too. I wonder if Thomas was questioning why Jesus didn't wait for him to get back to the house, or why Jesus didn't come to him and breathe on him as well. I wonder if Thomas felt left out or forgotten by his Lord. I wonder if Thomas worried about his own role in all of this, would he be left out of what was to come because he wasn't there? And so Thomas waits, sitting in the house with others, surrounded by people who are both afraid and yet filled with faith. Thomas is still with them in his grief and pain and doubt. They're still his friends, his family, even if he thinks their story doesn't make much sense to him. I wonder if he stayed with them because in all of his grief and heartache, he wanted to be surrounded by those he'd spent the last few years with, hearing stories about Jesus. I wonder if he was still trying to process what happens now, and he figured he might as well do that with the disciples, with these people he cares for. Maybe more of us can relate to Thomas, and maybe some of us can relate to the disciples. For a long time, I related to Thomas because I too struggled with believing in what I hadn't seen and what I hadn't experienced, especially when my experience of people with faith didn't really match up with my expectations. Maybe you've also experienced that kind of doubt. Maybe that's for you today too, it's okay. But maybe you're relating more today to the disciples, still unsure or afraid of how to live like you've witnessed the resurrection. Most of us in the church, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out how to share Jesus with others, how to invite others to join us as part of the body of Christ. We're overjoyed by visitors who 
come and join us for worship. We're overjoyed by people who join us for events when our friends say, oh, hey, guys, I'll go to your Oktoberfest. There's beer, right? That's, we'll all go to church. Fine. <laughs> We're overjoyed. But we sometimes don't know how to make that connection between what we've experienced, what we've seen, and our lives. Many of us relate to Thomas because we are surrounded by Thomases in our lives who love, we love dearly and we care for and we want to share Christ's peace with, but we either don't know how or we don't want to risk it. For the disciples, the risk is arrest or maybe even death. For us, the risk is awkward conversations, discomfort, failure. For us, we risk Worrying about time constraints, our physical abilities, even the way politics can get and often does wriggle its way into a resurrection life. We don't want to upset anybody. Maybe we can relate to both the disciples and Thomas. And maybe today you can really understand Thomas's harsh and pained reaction when the disciples tell him they've seen the Lord and he missed it. There is nothing worse than being surrounded by people you care about and being left out of a joke or a story. Feeling behind and unsure. This can be something with, that we experience within our church family, our actual families, our workplaces, our friendships. Us millennials even have a word for it that I've learned. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. I get it a lot. I understand. I can't imagine how heartbroken and already grieving Thomas must have felt after hearing his friend's story, but I can relate in small and in big ways, and maybe you can too. For me, this most often comes up in being a newer mom. I love being a mom. I love my daughter and Greg, and you probably saw her if you were here early, that she literally pulled me by my robe <laughs> into worship this morning. I also really love this job. I love participating in this resurrection life in our ministry together. But I found that I, myself, am often feeling like Thomas coming back to a room filled with stories that I wasn't part of. Sometimes it's little things, like having to wait until Monday when our daughter is at daycare to see the new Avengers movie and praying that no one spoils it for me before I get the chance. Please don't, if you've seen it, like, do not talk to me. <laughs> I love you all, but don't. <laughs> Sometimes it's bigger things, like not being able to come up with anything to say that isn't highly related with a group of friends or colleagues, especially when they aren't parents themselves. I find myself feeling awkward and boring and out of the loop. Sometimes it's missing out on the mom stuff, like when I share something funny that Hadley just did and Greg says, oh yeah, she's been doing that for a while. <sighs> really? We try our best, but as our lives change, we find ourselves like Thomas, sometimes lashing out, sometimes being silent, sometimes just going through the motions the best we can and surrounding ourselves with people who we don't want to leave us behind. And for me, Today, in this season of my life, I think Thomas gets a bad rap because we forget how much he's hurting. Amidst the joy of the resurrection, Thomas is still living in the grief of the cross, surrounded by those he cares about but separate somehow. And that's the Thomas I relate to most today, and maybe you do too. The Thomas whose anger bites from his grief. The Thomas who really just needs the peace that all the disciples received and doesn't recognize it yet. 
Maybe you can relate today as well to that search for moments of peace in the midst of grief and heartache, to that struggle between vulnerability and putting on a brave face. It's a difficult balance, and it's one we're not always good at. I don't like to think of this disciple as doubting Thomas, as he is so often coined. Thomas is a disciple who hears the story but doesn't see the truth of it in the behaviors of those sharing. He's a disciple who missed out, who feels forgotten. He's the disciple who is still grieving, hurting, and searching for peace. Last Sunday on Easter, as we celebrated the resurrection, I talked about how important stories are. Thomas's story is one of those important ones because it's part of all of us. At some point or other, we've all experienced doubts or frustrations or fears, especially with our faith lives. None of us have fully lived up to the resurrection life we are called to live. Most of us have experienced feeling left out or forgotten, and most of us have experienced grief and pain and heartache. Most of us have been Thomas, focused on the cross, on the grief, on the hurt, on the doubt. We've been there, right? But, see, Jesus still shows up. It might be a week later. The doors might still be shut. We might still be filled with doubt or fear or loss. But Jesus still shows up because Thomas needs Christ's peace too. Because he's not forgotten. Because Jesus knows how much he is hurting. And so Jesus shows up bearing all those wounds from the cross all the wounds we carry, all the heartache and failures, and Jesus holds them in his body, and he holds them out for Thomas to see, to feel, to know that the peace that Jesus brings with him is real, and is for Thomas too. Because the resurrection is real, this new life is real, this peace that Jesus brings with him is real, and it's for all. So that we all may come to believe, to participate in this life of faith, this resurrection life, a life that is filled with risk, and fear, but also with celebration and peace. As the disciples leave that house, they find themselves in the midst of a life post-resurrection. In our Acts reading, they're getting arrested, being freed, getting arrested again because they can't help but share their stories. They can't help but heal others. They can't help but say Jesus' name no matter the risk. And today, as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we too are called to live into this resurrection life that Jesus has sent us into Lives that are witnesses to others of the grace and peace that Jesus brings to us through sharing God's love and mercy in our actions and in our words, through inviting, connecting with, and welcoming each other and those we don't know yet. Lives that are filled with open doors, filled with hope even in the midst of grief and doubt. Lives that are filled with grace and peace and forgiveness and love. Lives that are filled with words of faith and hope like Thomas's, my Lord, my God. Lives that are filled with words of celebration. Christ is risen. Christ is risen in me. Hallelujah. Amen.